Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We continue this series, in fact, we wrap this series up today called Twisted. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot uh, in this series. I always learn a lot when I'm preaching. You know, people will ask me from time to time, Brett, how did you learn that? How did you know that? How do you know that? And um, when you teach on a regular basis, you're going to learn. I always, probably, I always learn more than you. Just because I'm just downloading so much information, I wish I could hang on to it. That's the thing: is how do you, how do you hang on to what you learn? But um, this series has taught me a lot. I've talked to some of you through the the series, and you've expressed some things that you've learned, and we've had some good conversations. To begin today, to wrap everything up, I want to ask a question, and I, I need you to be honest in this. How many of you would say that if you had a little bit more money, it would make your life easier or better? Raise your hand. If you had a little bit more money, it would make your life easier or better. Be honest. Yeah, when I say be honest, more hands go up. I don't know what's up with that, but me too. I would say that. I mean, I would say that. Who who wouldn't say that, right? Yeah, a little more. With a little more, I might be able to do that or make my life easier in that way. That leads me into one of the most misquoted verses that we find in the Bible. A lot of people quote this verse and You'll hear people say, money is the root of all evil. You ever heard them say that? Money is the root of all evil. And that is an incredible misquotation of that verse and what the Bible actually says. In fact, I want to show you a photo that's in a a restaurant. This is a tip jar. (laughs) It says, money is the root of all evil. Cleanse yourself here. That's awesome. Whoever thought of that was a genius. Um, I actually think that's pretty clever, but, but this is what many people think that this verse says, that money is the root of all evil. I want to tell you how the verse was actually quoted. Paul was talking to Timothy. If you want to find 2 Timothy 6, that's kind of going to be the anchor today, uh, 1 Timothy 6, and this is the accurate way to quote the verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of of evil for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil if you're like most people you're going to say brett that's not me that's for rich people you know that's all the other rich people greedy people who love money but that's really not me i don't i don't love money how do we even discern really if we if we actually love money or not how do you how do you know something like that well the bible actually answers the the question for us Um, Solomon said this in the Old Testament. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So I kind of set you up a few minutes ago when I asked you that question. How many of you would say that a little bit more would make life easier or better? When I look at this definition in verse 10 of, of Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough, it suddenly makes me a little bit more uncomfortable with my spiritual position. Because I, you know, when you raised your hand a few minutes ago, I'm in there with you. You know, if you just ask me that question cold, and you say, Brett, would a little bit more money help you? I'm, of course, yeah, a little bit more money would help me. I'm going to raise my hand on that. Whoever loves money never has enough. And a little more would make my life better, and a little more might make me a little happier. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. When I was younger... There were people that I looked up to when I was, you know, younger, making my own money. There were people that I looked up to who made just a little bit more than me. And I can remember thinking to myself, you know, if I just made what they made, 
that would be it. If I could just get to that level, I wouldn't need any more, and, and I, that would be awesome. I would be a happy camper. And, and then I got there, and you know what I found out when I got there, when I arrived at that place? I want just a little bit more. You know, if I could just, now, if I could just set my sights just a little higher and do a little bit more. And as I look back on my life, that kind of can become a pattern for me, and maybe that can become a pattern for you as well. In fact, if I asked you the question, and you were totally honest with your answer, it might be revealing where your heart ended up on this. How much do you need to be happy? How much do you need to be satisfied? How much do you need to be secure? And virtually everybody I know would say, well, you know, Brett, I just, a a little more. I I don't know exactly how much I need, but I I need just a, a little bit more. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Um, you know, when you hear that, when a, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, that may hit a little closer home to many of us than we might first have acknowledged when we first heard the verse. What I want to do today is, I, I, you know, it's pretty much what we've done with every other message in this series, and I want us to dive into the context. First thing you always want to do is you want to get context. Um, If you've been with us, you'll remember that we've been talking about, you know, the importance of understanding where things fall in the Bible and what does it say around those verses so that we don't just lift something out and misquote it and use it in the wrong way. We don't just want to pull a verse out and and do that. Uh, We want to know who wrote it. We want to know to whom they wrote it. When was it written? What are the circumstances around that? What's the big purpose or the big theme, the bigger picture of maybe the chapter or the book that it's in, the letter that it's in. So let me give you the context of this verse. This was actually Paul writing to Timothy. And that is really interesting. What's interesting about that is that Paul has two, what we would call pastoral epistles. He wrote um, a set of pastoral epistles to Timothy, and he also wrote a set to a guy named Titus. Uh, He actually wrote one to Titus. Uh, These are not biological sons of Paul, but Timothy and Titus are what are known as sons in the faith. Uh, Growing up, and even now, if you were to talk to the pastor that I grew up under, if I were going to tell you, you know, someone is my pastor, it's a guy named L.D. Campbell, and um, L.D. has many times referred to me in letters, and, and when he's introduced me, when he's you know, if I'm standing next to him and he's talking to an old friend of his, he'll say, this is my son in the faith. Um, he looks at me that way. He didn't have any sons of his own. He's got lots of sons in the faith, men and women, uh, young men that, that have grown up in our church, that have been sent out into ministry, that he's poured his life into, that he's discipled in many ways. Um, I, I, you probably would never know it, but I do things, a lot of things, the way LD, the way I saw him doing it when he was preaching to me when I was a kid growing up, even through college age. Um, I do it like LD did it. I think about things like, what would LD do in this situation? Um, These were young pastors that Paul looked at, and he loved them as if they were his own sons. So these pastoral epistles um, are very personal. They're very rich. You know, we can learn an awful lot about how to to love Jesus in the church through these pastoral epistles. So this is Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 6 so that we can get some context. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment, if you have a a pen, you might want to circle that word, with contentment is great gain. 
So if there's a big theme in this teaching, if there's a, 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 you know, a, 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 an overall thing, we might argue that the big theme isn't really money, but the big theme is going to be godliness, it looks like is what he's going to be talking about. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, this is easy to get this in our heads, but often we don't, we don't understand this in our hearts. Um, you've heard the expression, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? Um, I actually did see a picture where somebody had hooked, I don't know whether they did it with, with uh, photo paint, Photoshop, or whatever, but I saw a picture the other day of a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. And can I just tell you, it's the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen in the world, right? It's just stupid. Like, who would do that? It doesn't make any sense. Um, maybe you've heard this old joke. A wealthy guy um, is preparing for the day that he's not going to be with us any longer. And so he takes this, a lot of his money, he puts it in this briefcase or this suitcase, and he puts it in the attic. And his wife watches him do all this, and she says, honey, what are you, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm not going to be here forever, and so I just figure that, you know, whenever I die on the way up to heaven, I'll just kind of go, as I go through the attic, I'll just grab that suitcase, and I'll have a little, I'll take a little bit of that money with me. Well, the old dude finally eventually dies, and uh, his wife thought, you know, I'm going to go look in the attic to see if that money's still there. She went up into the attic. Sure enough, the money was still there in the attic, to which she said, that old fool, I told him he should have put it in the attic, in, in the basement, uh, <laughs> you know, I told him. He didn't listen to me. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Then in verse 80 says something that's really profound, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing and an iPhone, we could be, and Netflix, and some Jordans, we could be content. If we had all those things. One of the things that Paul's trying to teach us is the richest are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. That, that's really what you come away with. The, riches, the richest among us are not those who have the most, but the ones who need the least. One of the things that we should be trying to figure out in our life is how little do I need? Do I, how little do I need? And man, when you live in America, that is so hard because this, this culture you know, our lives are so driven by more and get this and, you know, you need to look like that and you need to have that. And, um, and I'm not, like, shooting this at you. This is, I'm kind of talking to me. I can easily fall into, well, I need to look like that and I need to have one of those. And, man, I really want one of those. And um, All you have to do is go into another part of the world where people have much, much less than we have in the developing countries and you begin to get a little bit disturbed because you realize that in many ways, those who seem to have less act like they have more. They have dirt floors, they have no electricity, no hot water, no toilets that work. These people have none of the things that we have and take for granted and think are absolutely necessary, and yet they have this joy and this, this peace and this assurance. The Christians that that, that I was able to meet in Thailand. And, and you know, I've heard stories about people who have gone to Honduras and, and Haiti, and they come back and they talk about this, the joy that these people had. And they didn't have any of the things that we have, but they had this joy in their heart. And you look at them and you say, you know what, the richest of, of us is not the ones who have the most, but the richest among us are the ones who need the least. Here's the problem. Discontentment 
can make a rich person poor. And contentment can make a poor person rich. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We have to recognize that if we have food, if we have shelter, if we have clothing, we have our basic needs. And we can be content with that because godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say this in verse 9, those who want to, say it out loud, those who want to, those who want to, let's, Get rich. There you go. Those who want to get rich. Can you say Powerball? Powerball. Just hoping. You know, you never know. You never know. I might, I might hit it big. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then the next verse is our context. That's, that's the verse we're looking at. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now don't raise your hands because I don't want, I'm, I'm not after that, but, but how many of you know somebody like that, that they chased it and they chased it and they chased it so long that they eventually walked away from God because they were chasing it? Maybe you know someone or maybe it's been an experience in your life that, that um, you had a money fight. And you had a money fight with someone that you loved, and the result of that was you lost a friendship. Maybe some of you or you know somebody, maybe your family's got a situation where two of your family members got into a, a fight over finances or money or, you know, it just became too important, and they got into a big fight, and now they don't even speak to any, any, each other anymore. And, you, you know, when you see that, you think to yourself, wow, that's just so, that's so sad. That's really sad. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil so when we hear this it sounds like money is bad right i mean that's what it sounds like you have to recognize that having money is not bad loving money is more dangerous than we can even wrap our minds around this can be a real tension but to really love and serve god we, we you know we've got to get this right jesus uh said this he said you cannot serve both god and money he did not say you cannot serve both God and power. That's not what he said. He didn't say you can't serve God and popularity. He didn't say you can't serve God and sex. He said you cannot serve both God and money. Because for many people, money will be the number one competitor for their heart. You know, and only you can answer this honestly. And, and you know, we're not going to take a poll or anything like that. But you know in your heart whether or not this is something that you need to work on. You know whether or not you're someone who, who is tempted to serve money more than, than is tempted to serve God. And that's not something for me to point out to you. That's, a, that's kind of a you and God thing where you just kind of do business together. It will be the very thing that will distract you from having the true riches that God wants you to have. And, and we've got to get this right. And so in many parts of the world, in the church world, there are those that, that will talk about a prosperity gospel and then in some places you'll hear people talk about a poverty gospel um they're they're extremes the, the poverty the prosperity gospel believes that if i'm godly if i have enough faith if i give enough then god has to make me rich god has to make me rich that's what the prosperity gospel says last week i talked about preaching a verse and how you might reconsider preaching a certain verse to certain parts of the world and i said you know if i can't preach it there i really shouldn't preach it anywhere 
And so I would just say, you know, you go try to preach this verse to people. You go try and preach a prosperity gospel that if you just give enough, you know, God has to make you rich. Go preach that to people in parts of the world where $3 a day is like, you know, that's all they get, or $3 a month. And just tell them, you know, if, if, if you just will give enough, God's going to make you rich. That's dangerous, and it's abusive, and is, it is a misunderstanding of the blessings of God. So on the other side of this is the poverty gospel, and that is, if you're really righteous, you're going to be poor. Now, you probably don't hear that as much, but um, there are pastors that I've heard. There are, there's one big-time pastor that I know of that that's kind of his thing. Um, you know, that if you're really righteous, then you're going to be poor. If you really love Jesus, you're, you're not going to have anything. That's the poverty gospel. And if you have something, then you're unrighteous and you're ungodly. And again, that's a misunderstanding of what Scripture says. I don't believe that's what Scripture says. In fact, if you look at how Scripture speaks to the subject and you go back to the Old Testament, this is what you find in Deuteronomy 8. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now, God is not going to give you the ability to produce something that's, not, that's wrong, right? I mean, and, and when I say that, when I, when I read that, I feel like I've got to come behind that with a, a, like a disclaimer because you would say, well, Brett, I've done lots of things wrong and who gave me that ability if not God? But you understand what I'm saying. God's not going to birth in you this, this ideology and this idea that, hey, I'm going to produce this and, and it's, going to be a, it's going to be a blessing. That's not a wrong thing. If you have wealth, you can help an awful lot of people. So we have to be careful to not drive off into the ditches. You know, what people do is they take a verse and they just slam the car and drive and hit the gas and they drive right off into the first ditch without really understanding what the verse is saying. It, it, you got to be careful. If I'm godly, then I'm going to be blessed. And if you're not blessed, then you're not godly. No. Or, or, I'm godly and I'm going to be poor, and if you're not poor, then you're not godly. No, that's not a proper understanding of Scripture. Those are both a misunderstanding of the truth. That's why when we finally recognize this whole thing, that's when we really get blessed. We don't apologize for the blessings of God. We maximize the blessings of God. That's what we do. I've met people who were embarrassed by the things that God had done for them. I've met people that you know, have been really blessed, and it's almost like they don't want anybody to know, and they feel bad because God has blessed them in some way. You know, that, that happens. There, there are the blessings that, that people don't apologize for. Um, you know, certain things we do apologize for. Sometimes the way we, we receive compliments, it, it makes us sound like we're apologizing for what we've been given. Like, you know, Brett, you've got, you've got great kids, you know, and to, to offset the fact that, yeah, I've really been blessed. Sometimes we say something stupid like, oh, no, my kids? No, I, mean, I don't even like my kids. I mean, I just, you know. No, you don't want to say something like that. Um, you would say, no, we've, we've, been, we've really been blessed with good kids. We, you know, God just really blessed us with good kids. I mean, a, a good way to receive a compliment, you know, somebody 78, 80 years old is in great health, and somebody comes up to him and says, man, you're really in good health. You know, the, the right answer to that is, yeah, God has really blessed me. You know, I can't explain it other than that. I'm, I'm just really healthy at this age, and I'm thankful for it. But sometimes you, you get the blessing, and it's like, man, this is a great house. Oh, no, man, we got a great deal on this. No, we, we didn't really pay that much. Um, don't, don't think that we're rich or anything like that. 
Um, that's kind of apologizing for the blessings of God. You don't apologize when God blesses you. You maximize the blessings of God. It's not a sin to have something. It is a sin and very dangerous to love money. Very dangerous. So you have to have the right perspective to leverage what God gives you and to make a difference. And then in verse 17 of this 1 Timothy 6 passage, God, Paul kind of gets all over us. He, he, he kind of pushes this. Look at what verse 17 says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And it's really easy to read that verse and to run right by that because we don't see ourselves as rich. You know, when, when I say the word rich, you're thinking of somebody else. Rich is somebody else. Rich isn't me. You know, this is where I am. This is rich. And if I ever got there, then you could call me rich, but not, not yet. I'm not there yet. And, but when you put this in a global context, you read it again. Command those who are rich in this present world. I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty sure about this. The average person in this room this morning has hundreds of dollars worth of technology in your pocket or your purse, right? Now, I haven't heard any of them this morning, but I know that because I have heard them in the past. We carry around in our pocket, I read this not too long ago on Twitter, we carry around in our pockets, in our cell phones, more computing technology than they used to put the first man on the moon. Did you know that? And, and we pay hundreds of dollars for these phones, and we put them in our pocket, and they're with us everywhere we go. So if that's you, you're kind of probably rich. Most of you have access to some kind of transportation. Most of us own our own vehicle. That puts us in the top 9% of the world's wealthiest people, top 9%. And the funny thing is, many of you today will drive past seven or eight or nine restaurants to go to the one special restaurant that you really, really like, and you will look at the menu and you will say, I just can't decide what to get. And then you will order that food and someone else will go back into a kitchen and cook it for you and bring it to you. And you will get angry because it took them 11 minutes to bring you that food. Then you will get back in your top 10% car and you will drive home. And for some of you, you will drive home and drive into a special house for your car. We call it a garage. Then you're going to walk into your climate-controlled habitat and if it's hot outside, you're going to make sure that it's cooler in the house. And if it's cold outside, you're going to make sure that the temperature comes up. Because we can do that in this country. Because we're rich. You pee in a toilet. When you poop, you flush it, and it goes away. And you don't smell it anymore. You're rich. You watch a flat screen TV on your wall and you stream Netflix. You're rich. You're rich. No, Brett, not me. No, no. You're rich. And when you wake up in the morning, some of you walk into your closet. You walk into your closet and it's a two-story closet. That means there are clothes up here and there are clothes down there. And you... 
walk in and you walk by and you touch all the clothes that are hanging in your walk-in closet and you have been heard to say, I cannot find, thank you, you're rich, I'm rich, we are rich, we are blessed. You don't apologize for it. You maximize it. We're blessed. We don't deserve this. We were born into this. (laughs) When was the last time you just thanked God that you were born in America? God, thank you, thank you that I was born in this country. I could have been born in a country where, you know, half the kids don't even survive their six-month birthday. But I wasn't born there. I was born here. Seriously, you could have been born somewhere else. You know, and then... We say, I need more to be happy. No. Discontentment makes makes rich people poor, and contentment makes anybody rich. Let me say that again. Contentment makes anybody rich. So let's read that verse again, and this time let's read it as if God is speaking to us, because he is. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich. Who is that? That's us. That's us. That's me. That's you. So he's talking to us. Command those who are rich, us, command us in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. Why? do we tend to put our hope in wealth? What is it that makes us do that? You know, when I ask you if a little bit more would make your life easier or better, we all kind of without reservation would say, yeah, of course. I mean, why, you know, why do we say that? Because money promises what only God can provide. Money promises what only God can provide. Jesus said, you cannot serve God in money. What does money promise? Money, first of all, money promises happiness. Money promises that if you have a, money would say, if it could talk, it would say, if you have a lot of me, you'll be happy. How much do you need to be happy? More. Just a little little more. Is that enough? No, just a little more. Uh, I thought that would do it. No, more. Happiness. How much money does it take to make you happy? What else does money promise that only God can provide? Money promises security. Something only God can provide. You can have all the money in the world doesn't keep you from dying. Uh, a lot of rich people have died. A lot of rich people died yesterday. A lot of rich people die today. And all the money they got isn't going to stop that from happening. You know, we say things like, you know, I, fi- I finally got my car paid off. Now it's going to be great. No, I need just a little more. I'm going to get that credit card paid off. When I get that credit card paid off, all my problems are going to go away. No, no, I, I, I thought that would do it, but that didn't do it. I need more. Well, I finally got all my credit cards paid off. Now if I can just get X amount of dollars in the bank, that's my goal. If I just get that many dollars in the bank, I have played this game. All right, I have played this game. When I get that much money in the bank, then I'm going to be happy. And then I get that much money in the bank, and I'm like, no, I need more money in the bank than that. I I just need a little more. I, I just need a little more. I thought that would do it, but that didn't do it. A little more. So happiness, security, significance. If I can get enough of that then I will be all of that. Ladies, am I right? 
I can't go to that party in that dress. I need a new dress. I mean, I just went by in my walk-in closet and touched 20 dresses, but I can't wear any of those dresses. I need a new dress. It's got to be a special dress for the special party. Guys, am I right? I can't. I mean, I cannot be seen in an old jalopy car. I mean, come on. This thing, it's got a little rust on it. I can't have that. It's getting some miles. I got, got to have more. We want, we, want, we want to walk in. We want the designer sunglasses, the designer jeans. We've got to have the right purse, the right suit. Got to have the right tie on. Your pocket square's got to be all snappy. And we walk in and we're all that. Money promises what only God can provide. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. I promise you, I am. When we really think that we need more money to be more happy and more satisfied and more significant, we are deceived. We are deceived. We're under the power of money. We're under the influence of money. Money will not meet our deepest needs. Jesus and only Jesus will meet our deepest needs. Listen to me. Some of you are going to hear me say this, and, and you're going to walk away, and you're going to shake it off. You know, it's going to be one of those things where you hear this sermon, and you're going to walk away, and three hours later, it's like, yeah, yeah, he talked about money. And Money will not meet your deepest needs. Only Jesus can do that in your life. More money will not keep your children off drugs. More money will not help you to to love your wife better. More money will not make you more secure in this world. Only Jesus will. And here's the crazy thing. When you don't have a lot of Jesus, money looks really, really good. When you have more Jesus, then you become content with what you have because godliness with contentment is great gain. Many of you, myself included, we search for things that will never, ever satisfy us. We long for things. Man, I want one of those. Man, I just, I'm saving for, I'm going to get me one of those. What we need is more Jesus. That's what we need. More of his grace, more of his peace, more of his assurance, more of his presence, more of his power. He is your everything. He is your sustainer. He is your living water. He is your rock. He is your bread of life. He is your assurance. And suddenly when you have more of him, you stop craving everything else. The more I'm able to focus on what God's doing in my heart and my life, the more I'm able to focus on Jesus and what he's doing in me and trying to become the kind of person that Jesus calls me to be, the more I'm into that, the less I worry about how much stuff I have. It's just the two things are tied together. And the really crazy thing is sometimes when, when you have more of him, he starts to give you everything else and suddenly you recognize that more of everything else is really just for me. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, for me. I can enjoy it and I can be blessed by it, but since it came from him, then I use what he gave me to be a blessing in the world. And I have it, but it doesn't have me. And I have it, but I don't love it. And I have it, but I don't have to have it. Are you, there? Are you there with the things that you have? I have it, but I don't have to have it. You know, if someone came and said, hey, we're going to take that away. In the interest of you being a Christian, we're going to take that away. Would you be able to go, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can do that. Because I already have what I have to have. And what I have to have is an assurance of who I am in Jesus. That my sins are forgiven. 
They are not held against me anymore, and I'm a child of the living God. That is what I have to have. The more I focus on that, the less things, the less money, the less possessions come to mean to me. The more I focus on, I am secure in Christ, I am forgiven, I don't ever have to worry, my sins will never be held against me. I have been set free. Some of you are going to get this one day, and when you get this, you will be set free. You're like, Brett, when will I get over this? When will, you know, I know I'm a little greedy. When will I get over that greediness? You'll get over it when Jesus means more to you than anything else that you've got in your possession. That's when you'll get over it. And at that point, you become set free. It isn't wrong to have. It isn't wrong to be blessed. It's wrong when you love it. We have it to use it to make a difference in the lives of other people, to make a difference in the world. Then look at verse 18. Here's what Paul says to rich people. Command them, that's us, command them to what? Command them to four things. Do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then look at verse 19. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. The life that you've been searching for and you cannot find in material things because they don't ever satisfy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share, and to find the life that is truly life. So let me just tell you about me and my journey a little bit in, in this whole area of money and finances. I grew up in a home, many of you know, I grew up in a home where my mother uh, went to church. She didn't just send us off to church, she took us to church. Um, my dad was a truck driver and was on the road an awful lot when I was a kid growing up. So mom, in a lot of ways, was mom and dad. And so she made sure we were in church on Sunday. Every Sunday, we very seldom missed. We went Sunday nights. We, um, you know, was, we were one of those families that if the preacher was going to wash the windows on Thursday, we showed up and watched him do it. We were one of those families. Mom didn't miss. And the one thing I knew at a fairly early age was that mom gave money to church. And, I, you know, when I was really little, I didn't understand tithing. I just knew mom would, you know, she would see to it that we had offerings just like you've probably done with your kids. See to it that they put a little money in the offering thing because you don't want your kid going to church and being the only one that doesn't put money in the offering, right? Can't have that. Um, no, if you're doing that with your kids, talk to them about what you're doing. Don't just hand them the money. Talk to them about why we give and what we're doing. Um, I knew mom gave money to church. I didn't know how much. I had heard my mom try to teach us about the tithe, the, you know, the 10% of what you earn thing. But to be honest, I didn't take any of that too seriously as I grew into a, a better understanding. I didn't really listen a whole lot. I would occasionally hear from my mom and dad, and I would hear mom and dad discussing. Dad would see what mom was giving to church, and dad didn't always like it. Um, mom was way more spiritual than dad was. He was a little late to the party. Um, he, he didn't think mom should be given all that money. He thought it was a lot of money, and he's like, Rita, that's too much money. I've heard those conversations. And, and when I got a job, tithing was not something that I practiced. You know, when I first got my first job at a retail store, I didn't really practice tithing. I might give a little once in a while when I was possessed to. If I went to church camp and they collected an offering for the missionary, 
you know, you felt like, well, I got to give some of my money for that. I kind of held on to it pretty tight. And I didn't really get serious about it until we moved here, to be honest with you. Um, and since I've been in Terre Haute, giving is something that I have tried to be better at. I've tried to be much better at it. Now, uh, it's not always been easy, and if I'm completely honest, there have been certain times in my life, even here, when I've been better at that than other times. I mean, I'm like you. It's a struggle for me like it's a struggle for you. It's something that I'm trying to be on top of. But I can tell you that in my life, I'm trying to be a man who does not love money. I'm trying to be that man. I'm trying to be a man who is generous, who gives to the church, who, who gives to others. One of the greatest gifts God gave me was when I came to this church, God introduced me to not just one or two men, but to several men who have demonstrated to me in my life generosity. Generosity to me, generosity to the church, and generosity to other people. And I've, I've experienced it, and I've watched other people uh, receive from, from these very generous men. What, what I know is that the antidote to the love of money is not more money. It's generosity. More money does not ever satisfy your desire for more money. What, what satisfies you and makes you content is when you really start to become generous. I know you might not practice generosity like you should, and you might hear me say that and think, well, I don't know if that's true. I'm telling you, the more you give away, the better you're going to feel. That that's, doesn't sound right. You think, no, that's, that's not true. I'm telling you, it's true. The more you give away, the better you're going to feel. The tithe is one of the most effective tools for spiritual growth that there is. And you think, oh, this is where he sets us up for the whole giving thing. No, this really is not a sermon on giving. It's really not, okay? If this was going to be a sermon on giving, I would have collected the offering at the end because then I'd have made you feel guilty and then you'd have had to give. Actually, we don't do that here, okay? We, we don't, I'm actually, as a pastor, I'm trying to figure out when it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when i feel like we're mature enough as a church that we don't even have to pass an offering plate anymore okay so i need to hear from you when you think we're mature enough as a church that we can just set the plates at the welcome center or put buckets by the door and you can drop it off as you go out and we don't even have to collect an offering anymore so that visitors can come in and and you know what they say when they come in oh yeah they're going to collect an offering i want to be the church that when they come in we don't even collect an offering that if you want to give to us you give on the way out the door Okay, that's, that's what I'm trying to move us to. But if you seriously want to improve your faith, build it, make it strong, and feel good about your walk with Christ, I would encourage you to tithe. You hear that and you think, okay, he's talking about 10%. I am talking about 10%, but if you're not ready for 10% and you're not doing anything right now, here's my suggestion. Pick a number. Just pick a number. God, every week I'm going to give you this. I'm going to set this much off to the side and I'm going to give it to you. And make 10% your goal, maybe, that you work toward. And if you're at the point right now where you're doing 10%, set the goal higher. Try to become a more generous person. Is it because we're going to go under if we don't have more money? No, that's not the point at all. I, haven't, I don't even know what we've got in the bank. I don't, to be totally honest with you, I haven't looked at what the offering was last week. I don't even know. don't really care. God's going to meet our needs. He's going to take care of us. This isn't about, oh, Brett's freaking out because we don't have enough money. No, this is about let me help you understand that the more generous you are, the more spiritual you're going to be, and the better you're going to feel about your faith, and the better you're going to feel about your wallet. And the more you'll place your faith in Christ, and you'll be more content in him, and more money won't be the answer for all your problems. You'll say, God, what I really need, I need you. 
So what I want us to do is I want us to give to God. I want us to give to others. Listen, tip well. Tip well. If you go out to a restaurant today, here's my challenge. Tip them double today. Tip them double today. I, I try really, really hard when I tip somebody to, to exceed what they expect me to give them in a tip. Here's what I've discovered. It's usually only a dollar or two more. I can do without that dollar or two. It makes a big difference to the person I'm tipping. And it's an easy thing. And I can leave and they can see me leave and they go, man, that guy's really generous. That's a nice guy. And here's just something for you. If you're going to go today and you're going to sit around a table in a restaurant and, you know, you're going to badmouth me and say, ah, Brett, he's trying to get more of our money. And they're going to hear you. They're going to hear you talking. That you're, you, they, that you think they don't hear what you're saying. They do hear what you're saying. They know you went to church. They know you went to church and they're going to know you're complaining about, oh, he talked about money and I, didn't, I don't like that sermon. And then it's going to come time for the tip. And you're going to short them on the tip. And you're going to leave and they're going to go, ah, those Christians. They, they're never generous. They don't ever tip. I want Cross Lane to be the most, I want us to be known for our generosity. Grab one of those cards at the Welcome Center and go leave some money somewhere and leave it with a card. Give some of it away this week so that it does not master you and have a hold on you. Pay for the dinner for the person behind you. Do something. Be generous. Give it away. And what you're going to discover is that God meets you in that. Let me, let me tell you what I feel when I write my tithe check. I feel the most awesome sense of faith and obedience and relief. It's almost emotional for me when I write my check. I feel closer to God. I feel like I'm doing a good thing and the right thing, and I'm able to look at what I have left and say, God, thank you for what you've given to me. And every time I write my check, I can feel the power and the love of money losing its grip on me when I write that check. And I love that feeling. I, here's what I can tell you. I have never had a single emotional earn, um, earning moment. I've gotten a raise or two in the 20 some odd years that I've been at this church. The elders have given me a raise. I've never gone home and wept because they gave me a raise. I've never come into more money and thought, oh, I'm going to cry. I can't believe I got more money. I have made commitments to this church in the building campaigns and different things, and those have been emotional. I have given to people, and that's been emotional to me. I have helped people, and that's been emotional to me. Those have been moments when I felt close to God, and when God, I could sense that God was saying, Brett, you're starting to get that a little bit. That's why I give that to you. I don't give that all to you. I give that to you so that you can be a conduit. God only gives to you what he wants to flow through you. Have you ever heard that? I've never bought a car and gotten emotional i've never bought a tv or a clothes or and you know gone home and cried and cried but i have written checks and it's been emotional for me i can tell you some really emotional giving stories in my life generosity helps to break the grip that the love of money can put on you the tithe counteracts the love of money and it demonstrates your gratitude to god for the blessings that he has given to you in your life now i'm going to close I'm just going to come behind it and say it again. If you're a visitor today, I do not want you to think, oh, wow, he just, he just started out talking about 
this misquoted verse, and at the end, he did preacher ninja, and he's talking about giving to the church. Not at all. Not at all. If you're a visitor here, we don't expect you to give to us. We, we just want you to come and enjoy and get to know us, and at some point, God's going to start speaking to you. At some point, you're going to feel closer to God, and you're going to want to give, and at that time, you should be obedient to what God tells you. But I didn't preach this to guilt anybody. What I'm trying to do is help you understand that this, listen, it's, it's so funny to me. Money is the thing in the world that everybody's working for. It's one of the most important things in the world, but somehow as a preacher, I'm never supposed to talk about it. It dominates our life. We, t- we think about it every single day, but I only talk about it maybe once a year. And if I do, I'm talking about it too much. Ah, that preacher, see, that's all they want my money. No, I do, I do not want your money. I want you to get close to God. I want to bring you to Jesus. And one of the best ways to bring you to Jesus is to get you to leave everything else that hinders that behind. And money's one of those things. Our possessions, all the stuff that we hold in our hands so tightly, let it go. Let it go. And discover what it is to find your security and your position and your assurance in who Jesus is. Let's pray together. God, I genuinely want us to understand this morning that this isn't about improving our bottom line as a church. But Father, I want us to understand that that we're really at our best when we put you first and we understand what you're up to in our life, in our finances, in our in our hearts, because money just comes in and it just wraps around and it it, it clings to things and it makes us people that we don't want to be. But when we're generous when we, when we allow money to come into our pockets and then flow through us out to other people and we're, we give it away and we, we help people with things, it makes us feel good. Lord, for the one that's depressed, help them to see that maybe it starts with just being a little more generous. But Father, we want to honor you with our life. And one of the ways, one of the big ways we can do that is the way we look at money. We don't want to love it. We want to know that our assurance is in you. So God, we, we just... Uh, We ask for your help in this area of our life. We want to bless you and bless others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.